chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, the letter to the church in Pergamum. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray together before we look at God's word. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is like a two-edged sword, that it pierces us to the quick, that it can speak into our lives and into our emotions and into our spirits. And we pray that as we look at your word today, that you might speak to us and that we might know of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this morning we again return to our series in the book of Revelation and the letters to the seven churches. So if you do have your Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to bring your Bible with you on a Sunday morning. There's no point in me Um, going through things and you're not able to follow it. We can't print out an intimation sheet at the moment. We will possibly be able to do that when we can have the reading on uh, again. But it'd be great if you brought your uh, Bible or even had it on your phone or whatever. Uh, That would be be wonderful. Uh, And then you can tell me if I'm telling you a load of rubbish or not. That's really, really important that you weigh up uh, exactly what I'm saying. I'm not infallible, but the Word of God is infallible. So let's turn. Uh, to Revelation 2 and verses 12 through to 17. Now, we've already looked at two of these letters uh, to the seven churches in Revelation. Uh, We've looked at the letters to the church in Ephesus and to the church in Smyrna. And now we're on the third letter to the church in Pergamum. Now, Pergamum was uh, a large city, uh, certainly a large city of its time, had 100,000 uh, people, and it was 70 miles north of Smyrna, north again uh, from Ephesus. Uh, and unlike Ephesus and Smyrna, which were uh, coastal cities, uh, Smyrna was 16 miles uh, inland. And it was known as a, an intellectual city. It had a library holding 200,000 volumes, which was quite something in those days. 
and it was Asia's leading religious center. It was the foremost city for emperor worship, so worshiping uh, the emperor of Rome. And it was also uh, lots of statues to different gods, and it was an altar to Zeus, the king of the gods, uh, which was 12 meters tall. So it was known as an intellectual and religious city. Now, these things will, will hopefully help us as we come to this letter, this letter to the church in Pergamum. Now, as, as we've thought about going through these letters, they all follow generally the same pattern. Not all the elements are, are there in each letter, uh, but generally there are five elements in these letters. Firstly, there's an introduction where something is said about Jesus. Secondly, the church is commended for something. You know, this is, this is good. You, you as a church uh, are doing, doing something well. Thirdly, there is a rebuke. Church is not doing something quite so well. Then there's always, fourthly, an encouragement to hear the Spirit's message. And then fifthly, there's always a promise. For those who hold to Jesus, there is a promise for those who are victorious. Now, all those five elements are in this letter uh, this morning. So let's look at these five areas as we look at God's Word today. So firstly, what's the description of Jesus in this letter? All throughout these letters, we see different descriptions of Jesus. In verse 12, we see that Jesus is described as the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Now, in, in chapter 1 of Revelation, Jesus has already been described as having the double, two-edged sword. And the sword alludes back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah in chapters 11 and 49, and is to do with how Jesus will execute judgment on the nations and on false teaching and immorality in the church. And the reminder here to the church in Pergamum, and this will be you know, quite clear when we see what the issues are in this church, is that Jesus is the one who exercises ultimate judgment. Well, Roman officials might misuse the, their right of the sword and, and persecute Christians. Jesus is the one who is the ultimate judge. That's what verse 12 means. And Jesus having the double-edged sword is also a warning. It's a warning to this church in Pergamum to turn away from idols and, and compromise and, and immorality, which, as we will see, is something that threatens them. So Jesus here is described as the one who has the double-edged sword. Now, when we think of that imagery, you might think, well, that's, that's quite scary, isn't it? We tend not to use swords uh, these days. You don't see people going around in, in West Cobride waggling a, a sword about unless it's a plastic one. But Jesus having the double-edged sword, that ought not to scare us, but to give us encouragement that in a world where there is injustice and a world in which there is persecution, the justice ultimately will be done. Do you not look at your news screens at times and you think, you know, that's awful. 
How can that be in a world like this? How can it be that that there are people who are starving? How can it be there are people who, who don't have proper homes to live in, who are living in refugee camps? Does it not infuriate you? You see the injustice in the world. Well, the encouragement is that justice will come. That justice will be done at the end of time. And we can hold to that. And within the church, this idea that Jesus holds the double-edged sword ought to keep us from complacency and compromise. Because it's important for us to remember that the Lord, He is God. He's the one who ought to be worshipped, and, and Him alone. So often, we can sometimes even unwittingly, worship idols. And I'm not talking about going to a 12-meter altar of Zeus, because these things don't exist in our time and our day. But we have our own idols, don't we? And sometimes we fall at their feet, rather than falling at the feet of Jesus. And so the picture right at the beginning of this letter is to say, look, there is Jesus. He's the one with the double-edged sword. No one else has it. He's the one who brings justice. He's the one who encourages us to worship God and to worship the Lord alone. So that's the picture. The first picture we see in this letter is of Jesus. But secondly, we see what the church in Pergamum is commended for. And it is that in the face of pressure to conform, and in the midst of a a place where there was emperor worship and where Zeus had this altar and where there were other gods that were revered too, in the midst of that, the church in Pergamum were faithful to the Lord. That's wonderful, isn't it? Indeed, they have withstood persecution. Even when one of their number, someone called Antipas, has been martyred, they've still held strong. They haven't, when one of their number has been, been killed, they haven't said, oh, you know, we'll just, we'll just go with the flow now. They've stood firm for Jesus. They've not been wavered about in the face of persecution, and they've not renounced their faith. Now, I guess for us, we don't have the the pressure, do we, of formally renouncing our faith. But there are small ways in which we we conform to the ways of the world, and and we don't want to, to rock the boat, and we don't want to show people that we are a Christian. We have to be really careful about that, don't we? And although here in West Kilbride, we don't have a big altar to Zeus to entice us, and we're not forced to, to worship our leaders. There are plenty of false gods who can entice us. But the encouragement here from this church in Pergamum is to be faithful. Even when that's difficult. Even when that's inconvenient to us. Even when it does rock the boat. And so this church in Pergamum is, is commended first of all, for their faithfulness to the Lord. Even when things have been difficult, they've still held fast. But things are not perfect in the church. Because thirdly, 
we see some things that this church in Pergamum is rebuked for. And these things are to do with doctrinal and moral compromise. You see this, some in the church of Pergamum are holding to the teaching of Balaam, who advised Balak, this is way back in Numbers, to use Moabite women to seduce Israel. And Israel fell into immorality and idolatry. And this is what some in Pergamum are doing. They're indulging themselves, indulging their freedom in Christ, and falling into sin. And some are also holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, unlike the church in Ephesus that we looked at a few weeks ago, which which didn't fall into that false teaching. Now, the Nicolaitans were probably a sect who also taught immorality. And so, what they are being rebuked for here, this church in Pergamum, is that they are being enticed away from doing what is right and true and falling into doctrinal and moral compromise. Yes, they're not falling necessarily into to idol worship, but they are falling into to immorality. And they are called by Jesus to repent, to turn from what is wrong and to turn to what is right. And if they don't, the end of verse 16 again brings in the idea of the sword and the consequences of sin. Now, recently in our series in Galatians, we thought that how for the the Christian, it's not the law that brings salvation. It's not by keeping the law that brings salvation or being a good person that brings salvation. Rather, it is Jesus who brings salvation. It's a gift of grace. But the Galatians, if you remember, were warned about not using their freedom in Christ to indulge the flesh. You see, when you're a Christian, you know, you believe in Jesus, you think, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do, God will forgive me anyway. But that kind of mindset is just like double think, isn't it? It's completely perverse. Because when you believe and trust in Jesus, you therefore want to live out your life for his glory. That's the way it should be. You're not to indulge the flesh. And this would hold true for those in Pergamum and for us too. We're not to be lax in how we live out the Christian life, but rather we are to hold firm to the gospel. And if we realize we aren't doing that, we need to repent. So after the commendation and then after uh, the rebuke, fourthly, we have the encouragement to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Important for the church in Pergamum, important for us as a church today, that we listen to what the Spirit is saying. And we'll come back to that in a moment or two. But fifthly, we have a promise, a promise made to this church in Pergamum. And the promise is to the one who holds victorious. In other words, the one who holds firm, the one who's not complacent, but the one who holds firmly to Jesus wholeheartedly. And what I want you to notice here is that contained in this promise made to the church here, there are three things. Maybe you can note them here. The first thing is the hidden manna, the hidden manna. We know, of course, that when the Israelites are hungry in the wilderness, that the Lord provides manna for them to eat. This kind of um, bread, a bit like wafers, 
kind of honey-like. And some of that manna was preserved by Moses and put into the Ark of the Covenant, a reminder of the Lord's provision for future generations. Now, Jesus, of course, as we move to the New Testament, is the living bread from heaven. He is manna, if you want to put it in those terms. He's the one who feeds us, sustains us. He gives everlasting food to his church, tempted by idolatrous Roman feasts. Hidden manna, that's what he gives to the church to to sustain them. He also gives a white stone. Now, what's this about? Well, why a white stone? Well, white stones were associated with the justice system. If you were on trial before a, a judge, if you were found guilty, you were given a black stone. If you were acquitted and found not guilty, you were given a white stone. And so by receiving this, this white stone, the, there is a sense in which it symbolizes forgiveness. And white stones may also have been used as a, a kind of ticket for admission to, to special feasts. And so here, this white stone might suggest entrance to the messianic feast. So what we see in this symbolism of the white stone is is vindication, forgiveness, entry to the great banquet at the end of time. All these things are, are suggested here. For those who hold firm, for those who are victorious, this is the promise. You'll be vindicated, forgiven, entry will be given to the great banquet at the end of time. And notice on that white stone, there will be a new name known only to the one who receives it. In the new creation, believers who remain true to Jesus will receive an enduring identity and status in regard to God. It's talking about new creation. You will be new when you stand before God. And so we see, fifthly, to this church in Pergamum, if they hold firm, if they follow Christ wholeheartedly, if they're victorious in that way, do we see these promises? Promises, receiving hidden manna, a white stone with a new name. Promises that we too can hold on to. Now, as we come to the end of this particular letter this morning, I just want to try and, and draw things together because there's lots of symbolism and lots of things that are, are going on here. What does this mean for us in 2021? How can we relate to this today? What are you going to go out the door today thinking and saying, look, th- this is something I can hold on uh, this week? Because I don't want you to go out of here thinking, ah, oh, I just fell asleep during the sermon. And that was it. You know, it was just a time for a nap. That's not what it's about. What is the Spirit saying to you today, here in West Kilbride? Well, in our three churches so far that we've looked at, I hope that we've seen that no church is perfect. Some may have more redeeming features than others, but none is perfect. Even if a church like the one in Smyrna is is not directly rebuked, it's still not perfect. The church in Pergamum has some serious issues. Issues with immorality and idolatry even. Even whilst some were laying down their lives for the gospel in the face of persecution. It's a very mixed up church. 
living in a mixed-up world. But here's the point. Jesus did not yet write this church off. Do you notice that? He didn't say, look, you've gone so far away, I can never redeem you. Does he say that? Does he? No, he doesn't. The warning he gives to them is a merciful warning. And he gives them time. Time to repent. He says, look, this is what you're struggling with. This is the direction you're going. Repent. Turn around. Remember that as it's highlighted in Exodus 34 in the Psalms, the Lord is slow to anger and He's abounding in steadfast love. Do you believe that this morning? The church has time to repent. And it also has these promises that when we hold on to God, then this is what it will look like. Justice will be done. You will receive the hidden manna, the white stone with a new name. These are the promises to hold on to. Now, as we read these letters to the seven churches and and realize their strengths and, and their imperfections, it also ought to make us reflect on the church as it is now. As we know, the church in our nation is generally struggling, especially mainline denominations, really struggling, really struggling. Church of Scotland is struggling with with various issues. And here in West Kilbride, we're, we're not immune. Gently, may I suggest to you that some of the issues we are, we are facing within the church, not all, but some, may be because of our sin, may be because of our complacency, may be because of our disobedience and our unwillingness to stand firm for Christ. A letter such as this one to the church in Pergamum ought to act as a wake-up call a wake-up call to us generally as a church to examine ourselves and to ask ourselves, are we standing firm for Christ? Are there areas in which we're compromising? And if there are, then we need to repent and we need to turn back to the Lord. You see, even though we live in 2021, We cannot ignore the message that is here. We cannot stick our head in the sand or put our fingers in the ears as to what is being written to the church here. So this morning, we come back to our fourth point. If we have ears to hear, let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in Pergamum. But let us also hear what the Spirit is saying to the Church of Scotland. Let us hear what the Church is saying to West Kilbride Parish Church. Let's examine ourselves, repent where that is needed, and let's hold to the promises of God. You see, there's a place, isn't there, for self-examination. That's something that the Puritans were, were known for. Puritans sometimes get a bad press, but they had something right. They came before the Lord each and every day, and they examined themselves to say, you know, am I right with you, Lord Jesus? And perhaps we need more of that spirit as individuals. 
Am I right with you, Lord Jesus, today? I trust fully and wholly and only in the cross of Jesus. And as I trust only in Jesus, I want to share that with the church. And as a church, we need to examine ourselves. Are we right before the Lord? Are we following the leading of the Holy Spirit? Or really, are we just following our own desires? If we follow our own desires, we'll surely fail. We need to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So let's examine ourselves this morning. And let's hold to the promises of God. You see, if we're honest, why so often do we compromise? And we all know times in our life when we compromise. Is it not because we fear man rather than God? When it really comes down to the nitty-gritty, is that not true? I know it's true in my life. One of the things I compromise, when I fear what people will say, when I fear what people will do, when I fear that people will laugh, when I fear that people will mock. And so I, I think, you know, I, do, I, I just don't want to. I just don't want to face that. Do we not fear man rather than God? You see, what's the picture? Right at the beginning of this letter, Jesus, he's the one with the sharp, double-edged sword. The one who brings justice. May we come before him with holy awe and let us honor him as a church before anything else. Shall we just pray together? Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, even though this letter was written so many years ago uh, to a church in uh, the first century, here in the 21st century, there's so much to teach us. Lord God, we recognize that this church in Pergamum was not perfect. Though they held strong in the face of persecution, yet Their doctrine was sometimes lacking. They fell into immorality. And Lord God, we recognize things are difficult within the church at this present time. Difficult in the church here in Scotland, the church of Scotland, even here in West Kilbride. And Father, maybe this is a time for self-examination as a church. Maybe we need to look at our practices whether we truly fear man more than fearing fearing you, whether we truly want to follow the leading of the Spirit, or we're just following our own desires. Heavenly Father, if as we examine ourselves, we recognize that we fall short, we pray that you would help us as we repent before you, as we ask for your forgiveness. And that we might know the hope that is in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are a God who is abounding in steadfast love. And who is patient with us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be patient with us as a church. That you would give us understanding. And you would help us as a church to serve you better. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would not fear man. But Lord God, we would come before you with a holy awe. So Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. 
and we might know that we have met with you this day. And Father, if we recognize that this message is floating over our heads, we pray that you would unblock our ears. We pray that you would open our ears to what the Spirit is saying. And that, Lord God, we might be a people, individually and collectively, who honor your name. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.